What's up? Welcome in to another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Also, don't forget the YouTube page, youtube.com. Subscribe to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It's right there, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit the subscribe button. You can see new videos of past and present conversations and shows that I've had in the world of professional wrestling. As you well know now, at least you should know, that Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday is now twice a week. No, I'm not changing the name. We're on every Tuesday, 9.30 p.m. on ESPN 1000 in the ESPN app. And, of course, always on the podcast right here, wherever you download your podcast. So not only are we on Tuesdays, but also Thursdays as I work with Josh Lopez from ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. So that way we can review AEW against NXT and all the other things that we might have missed with NWA and other things around pro wrestling. So Josh will be with me on Thursdays or Fridays. We're going to try to make this work twice a week (laughs) right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Okay, I'm in a great mood as always because I'm talking pro wrestling with you. And there's a number of things that we have to address here on the program Number one, we got to talk about Raw taking place yesterday as I record this at 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. So, Monday Night Raw, as we are, what, nine days away as we record this from Crown Jewel taking place in Mobile, Alabama. First time ever, Crown Jewel will be in Mobile, Alabama. I'm sorry, is that is that Mobile? First time ever that we'll have Crown Jewel. It'll be in Indianapolis, Indiana. No? Crown Jewel. It'll take place in the beautiful city of Vancouver, British Columbia. It's going to be great. No, actually, it is going to be in Saudi Arabia. It's funny how the WWE just continues to not have that up as a graphic. Saudi Arabia, be proud of it. You going to go out there? Fine. Not going to bring the women with you? Great. But anyway, so Monday Night Raw in Cleveland uh, on Monday night. And... It's so interesting just to kind of watch how the WWE is trying to work some of their characters. It's not all bad. It's just you can tell that even now in October, there's kind of a transition period with a number of their WWE wrestlers. Um, I'll give you an example of Seth Rollins as the Universal Champion. So Seth Rollins takes on Umberto Carrillo. And this is supposed to be one of these matches where an established star is supposed to make the guy that's underneath. Umberto has been on 205 Live. He's a nice hand. He does some things. But Seth Rollins is supposed to be in a position as a babyface against this babyface, Umberto Carrillo. And this did not necessarily get over like it should. You remember of the United States champion, John Cena? You remember John, don't you? John Cena had this United States championship challenge. And he would take on some of the top stars in the back or some of those guys that are emerging that was in the back. He would just, hey, anybody come out? You want to challenge me for U.S. championship? It's U.S. championship challenge. It's a great idea. John actually put those wrestlers over. And he looked good, and so did his opponent. It really helped trying to establish some stars and some footing in the company at the time. 
What happened last night kind of backfired because people were booing Seth Rollins. And by the way, Seth Rollins as a babyface, right? Babyface against babyface, but yet Seth Rollins was wrestling like a heel. See the disconnect? It's just, it's so bizarre what's happening there. There is some shades of WCW 2000 every time I turn on WWE programming, Raw or SmackDown. Not anything else, just those two shows. It's great that Seth Rollins took on a young competitor like uh, Humberto. Great. But it, it wasn't the back and forth exciting match that it could have been. It was just kind of there. It was just kind of a match. And then people were booing Seth Rollins because people remember that Seth Rollins burned down the funhouse of Bray Wyatt, the Firefly Funhouse. And so it didn't get over like it should have. It was a match, but it just shows you that when you have a personality in place as a babyface, then he's going to wrestle as a babyface. Seth Rollins didn't do that. Seth Rollins looked like he did when he was with... Uh, you know, with Vince McMahon and Triple H and, and Stephanie McMahon as a heel. Is he turning heel? And if he's turning heel, why? The company has enough heels. They got more heels than the Crockett era of the NWA. How many more heels can you have? How many shades of gray and how many heels can you have in this company? There are more shades of gray wrestlers, sports entertainers, uh, and heels in WWE than I can ever remember. It's because the booking is swayed in a very certain way, which is kind of odd. Um, so I really like Sin Cara coming back. Even though Sin Cara lost via the Hammerlock DDT to Andrade, I love that Sin Cara came back and there was a good match. One of the best matches on Raw. Sin Cara has been so underneath and so underutilized. Who even knows if that's the original Sin Cara underneath that mask anymore? I don't know. But... I like the package they showed about what happened in El Paso, which was very sad with the shooting in El Paso. And they showed Sin Cara there, and it kind of put him on a different pedestal, I'm sure, for some. And Andrade's there, and Andrade beat him, sure. But Sin Cara's been so underneath for so long. There is a star there that was that you really could have put over. It's not necessarily because he's a Latino superstar. It's just because he can do a lot of different things. And you and you, you talk about uh, superheroes. We hear so much about superheroes on Raw. There's a superhero right there in Sin Cara. You can do a lot of things with him. And he's just buried and put underneath for just no reason. Oh, I know the reasons because of Vince. Vince McMahon. So this whole Bobby Lashley, Lana th situation. Gosh, I wish there was a championship that was involved in this converse, in this whole thing with Bobby Lashley and his involvement with Lana, Rusev's wife. Rusev came in and interrupted a dinner, the fine dining that Rusev, that um, Lana and Bobby Lashley were having, and uh, he just wrecked the place. That's great. He's angry. But where is this going? Is this going to be a cage match? Is this going to be over a championship? Is this for the love of Lana? Where do you go with this? All you continue to see is Lashley with this big smile as if he actually is having sex and having relationships with Lana. And um, so how does this end? Right? Like, is there Now if Rusev gets over, does this put him in the position to go for the Universal Championship against Seth Rollins? 
See, I, I, that's, I just don't know how this ends because it just becomes monotonous after a while where it's like Lashley, Lana, Rusev, and it's like, okay, this love triangle, and now what? Speaking of superheroes, Ricochet, right? I don't mind that Drew McIntyre's back in WWE after the injury. I'm glad he's back. I mentioned on Twitter, uh, at WrestlingTWT, when they had the draft at WWE, and I said, man, all this conversation over the years for two stints and well over a decade of Drew McIntyre. He's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy. Yeah, he's going to be the guy. And he's, he's just, he's got all the tools to be the world heavyweight champion. It's good to see him back via, you know, from the injury. He's going to be part of Crown Jewel and he beat Ricochet. Uh, who's Ricochet now, by the way, since he left NXT? Who, who is Ricochet? Ricochet is a guy that is a superhero and he's just glad to be in WWE with a big old smile. I guess that's a baby face too, but he's getting buried. What happened? And superheroes don't get buried that quickly, do they? Well, they do in WWE with Ricochet. Uh, I like the match for sure. I really liked it. I just want more for Ricochet and want, want more for Drew McIntyre too. Guys stay healthy though, but that guy should be world champion. It's been taking too long. Uh, the best promo in the history of promos for Shelton Benjamin with Rey Mysterio on Raw. There it was. Shelton Benjamin taking up for Brock Lesnar, cornering Rey Mysterio in the corner. I thought that was great. Shelton Benjamin has never had the mic that long, I don't think, ever since he's been in WWE. That was great. That was almost like the coming out party like for Mark Henry when he was the, the champion or he was going to retire, taking on uh, John Cena. That's what it reminded me of. Like, wow. I mean, Shelton Benjamin has mic skills and was believable in that particular promo skit with Rey Mysterio. That was great. He says, you know what? I trained Brock Lesnar. So I'm taking up for Brock Lesnar. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I like that. Um, and I also saw Cain Velasquez come out. And Cain Velasquez comes out and he has a menacing look. He definitely looks like a pro wrestler with that look. But then when he ties up with Shelton Benjamin, this is the very dangerous Cain Velasquez. The guy that put a mark on Brock Lesnar's face, right? That he can never get off because of their fight, their real fight in UFC. If you see the battle, if you haven't seen this, cover your eyes. <laughs> Cain Velasquez is taken on in a kind of a battle with Shelton Benjamin. And Kane is just laying in these really soft rib punches, kidney punches to Shelton Benjamin. And they're doing like amateur stuff. Now, you know Shelton Benjamin is a, a professional a professional wrestler and a great amateur wrestler. And he gets out wrestled by Kane Velasquez. I know you got to put Kane over, but my God, Kane showed nothing. That was supposed to be a moment where you're supposed to be inspired by Kane Velasquez. It's kind of like when Ronda Rousey first comes out, you're like, okay, now she's doing some moves that you didn't expect. That wowed the crowd when Ronda Rousey did it. Kane Velasquez comes out with a couple of punches, soft punches, because I guess he didn't want to hurt Shelton Benjamin. And then it just, that segment just fell flat. Like, I guess it doesn't matter because it's Crown Jewel, but it just, if you're going to invest the time, television time in Kane, he's got to do more than that little bit of, you know, pillow fight with Shelton Benjamin. Very strange. 
Oh, by the way, uh, Buddy Mur Murphy was in a uh, package, a video package uh, showcasing some of the new draft picks on Raw, Andrade, Buddy Murphy, and Aleister Black. Uh, Buddy Murphy is a perfect example of someone put in a position to succeed, to push. Now, maybe this is a Paul Heyman thing where he sees something in Buddy Murphy, but Buddy is, again, a guy that was underneath, that, uh, that, wrestled, a e that uh, wrestled in NXT, and... You know, now he's getting pushed in a good way. So I want to see more from Buddy Murphy. Good to see him in that package. Uh, is AOP healthy enough to wrestle? We've seen him in a They've seen both of these guys uh, in uh, a lot of promo packages. They better be on fire. They better be taking on the Viking Raiders and have a knockout, you know, just, just a knockout matchup. I hope it's great. AOP, we saw them in NXT, so we know that they can go. Um, but... I, I noticed in the promo that they proclaimed that they were signed to Raw but kept away from a SmackDown. They vowed to get violent with every team on Raw. Hopefully that'll be the case. Let those two loose because they were really, really good with Paul Ellering uh, in NXT. Trying to think of anything else. Oh, the Street Profits and Carl Anderson and, and Luke Gallows. So the Street Profits win their first match on Raw. Uh, so... <laughs> The Street Profits. How is why is it that the Street Profits and I we got so much to get to, but I just want to just wrap up raw by saying this. Like, why is it that the Street Profits get so much promo time? I'm not saying that they are not good at it, but you ever notice on some of these shows before they had their first match on Raw that they has is a is a camera right in front of them. They're never they're hardly ever looking in the camera, and they're trying to almost interpret. And trying to explain to you what you just saw. Like, like, yo, we just saw the Viking Raiders against Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. It's like, what do, you, what do you, you don't have to recap what we just saw. It's just a waste of time. I'd rather for the Street Profits just to talk about themselves instead of talking about other things. They were so good for NXT. I hope it works out for them on Raw. I'm, I really do. They were in the crowd, and you know it's just a difference between full sale, obviously, and a big crowd because the, the big crowd is still trying to get used to the street profits being in, you know, all around the arena. I noticed one of the street profits, I think it was Montez Ford, picked up a little baby. The baby was smiling, but the the parent was not. The mom, I don't know, if she was really happy about it, <laughs> but the baby was smiling at Montez Ford, which was a cool moment. <laughs> it was kind of funny, <laughs> but I, I just uh, I don't know. I hope that there is a direction, a firm direction on Raw. It's, you have three hours to get this right. And I just think that Raw is kind of like a, it seems like it's a brand in transition. And hopefully they can be able to stick to uh, several storylines, good storylines, wrestling storylines that you and I can follow. That's what I'm looking forward to. A couple other WWE news and notes I want to get to. How about Eric Bischoff? Eric Bischoff, as you well know, used to run SmackDown. It was in the job for, what, three months, maybe going on four months, and he was let go, as we talked about here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. So Eric Bischoff is out of a job, not with the WWE. So he was on his podcast for the first time in a couple of weeks, 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff from Westwood One. Some thoughts now, his first thoughts on the record, Eric Bischoff about being let go by the WWE. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time clearing up the rumor and innuendo because it's out there. And I think people, you know, 
are smart enough to see through, you know, the bullshit that they read uh, in dirt, on, 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 you know, dirt sites and, and that kind of thing. I, and I don't, I honestly, I just don't want to get negative. Um, I, I'm going to say, you know, a couple things, and, and I'll have a lot more to say at some point in time. But, you know, my feelings right now are, number one, I was really grateful for the opportunity. You know, to to work at WWE, and it was an opportunity. It didn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. It clearly, didn't work out the way Vince McMahon wanted it to work out. But that that happens, and I'm not taking any of it personally. Um, professionally, you know, I'm taking a hard look at it and, and thinking it through. But I'm more than anything, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. And part of the reason I am is, um, you know, I had a chance to work with a great great team of people you know the, the, the writing staff for Smackdown in particular as well as a, a lot of the other writers who were uh, on Raw um, they are a very very talented and unbelievably hardworking and dedicated group of people and just to have the opportunity to to work with people like that in and of itself was worth this experiment you know, I, I didn't come here thinking I was going to be in WWE for five or ten years. Uh, I looked at it as a relatively short-term opportunity, meaning two to three years. I didn't think it would be quite this short-term, but sometimes that happens. You know, WWE is a, is a, is a great company with a very uh, defined culture and process. And, you know, I didn't necessarily fit into it. And that's just the way it is. Um, I'm not sad i'm not disappointed i'm not angry about any of those things just uh looking forward to you know the next opportunity wherever and whatever that may be and kind of digging the idea of packing up the truck and getting back to wyoming so all in all very positive i've got nothing but great things to say about the people at wwe and the company as a whole it's an amazing company uh and like I, i've said this before before i went back to work there you know from the the, the, the production team I mean, just everybody that I came into contact with at WWE is not only incredibly talented, but, you know, hardworking and extremely dedicated to, to the work that they do. So I, I was grateful and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of it, even if it was for a very short time. Eric Bischoff, his thoughts about no longer being part of the WWE. I'm going to think just based on some contracts that I've had to sign in the past or contracts that I'm very aware of, that there's probably some kind of severance package that was given to um, Eric Bischoff for his time in the WWE. Vince McMahon has been known to be very good at being able to take care of his current employees, former employees, those that used to work for him. So I'm sure that there is some kind of agreement where Eric can't bash the company. At some point, I'm sure that it'll be something that'll come out, but just not right now. I'm not even sure how long that contract was. I I read someplace that it was three years, a three-year deal, uh, maybe a two-year deal. But either way, no matter how long it is, I'm sure Eric is going to take the high road because it's in the language of his contract to take the high road. And um, at some point, there will be, I'm sure, a podcast about his time with the WWE, but just not right now. So some good thoughts there from Eric Bischoff. Liking the experience, now he's going to go back home to Wyoming, where he's been living for a long time. So uh, interesting thoughts there. One other thing about the WWE, Jake Hager or Jake Hagar, 
as Chris Jericho says on AEW programming, Jake Hager, who has a Bellator fight uh, coming up here pretty soon on the Paramount Network. Jake Hager stopped by Busted Open with my buddy Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray. And Jake had a number of things to say. He was promoting his fight that he's going to have on the Paramount Network. But also, of course, you know, Jake is now part of AEW. You just know that when he became a free agent and when he was thinking about coming back into wrestling, you know if Jim Ross is going to be part of AEW, I'm sure that Jake was on Jim's shortlist because of their connection to Oklahoma. He knows Jake's a great athlete, and so far, you like Jake being somewhat of the muscle or the crazy man uh, <laughs> in that whole group that Chris Jericho has spearheaded. So the inner circle has Jake Hager and Jake, of course, as you know him as Jack Swagger from the WWE when he was part of the company, he talked in the interview about some sadness that he dealt with. And I know that for some on the surface, it's like, man, you're making six figures or some of these wrestlers making seven figures and you're on the road 200 times a year and you're seeing the world and you are doing what you love and wrestling. You should be happy, right? Well, for some that have wrestled or are currently wrestling in the WWE, that system works, that they're good with wrestling 200, 225 times a year, being on the road and not seeing their family very much and being able to get paid a ton of money and are is okay being told what to do by Vince McMahon and writers and producers of the WWE and how to wrestle, how to talk and how to walk and how to and where to go and all these different things. But for some, they're not built that way. Some thoughts now from Jake Hager on Busted Open, uh, courtesy of SiriusXM. Question was posed to him: the difference between AEW and the WWE. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show, Jake, is. Within the world of WWE, how hard it is for the guys and gals to get themselves over because there's so much control um, up there. Can you speak to this? What did you go through when you were in the WWE? Were you allowed to go out there and just do whatever you want to get over? Or did you basically have to stick to what they wanted you to do in the ring and what they wanted you to say on the microphone? You know what? It, it, I know I'm being a buzzkill right now. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm glad you asked because it, it's it's funny because like if it makes sense up there, they're not going to do it. It has to not make sense for them to want to go forward with it, and and that part gets frustrating because you see so many times that I had really cool moments in my career, and then the next day it just gets stopped for no reason, uh, you know, and who knows why. Um, maybe I did something or maybe, you know, it, it's, you know, the powers that be just chose it. But it's really frustrating, you know, because you put your body on the line, you put your neck on the line, you put your back on the line and you give your body to these people and you go out there and you give your heart to the people. And then all of a sudden it's just taken away and you don't even have an explanation for it. And then you're back at the bottom of the pile again. And, you know, I don't think. I don't think you can sustain. That's not a good business model. I mean, they say that the talent is the asset, uh, you know, the biggest asset of the company. Well, they don't treat it like that, one. And it's just so frustrating to, like, have storylines just canceled 
day of, hours before the show is about to go on. And that's one thing about AEW. Like, we we know the script a week out, you know, before we even go to TV. So we're already thinking about what we want to do and how we want to entertain our great fans. And I'm sure you have some freedom as well. And that, and freedom seems to be like a, a curse word at times when it comes to pro wrestling. But it seems like, again, from the outside looking in, that you have that freedom in AEW. Yep, yep. I think um, as we get uh, more and more into Wednesday Night Dynamite, 8 o'clock TNT, uh, the backstage will become... Um, of more of a of a structure, um, but right now there's a lot of freedom there to go out there and do your job. And if you're doing your job, uh, you're, you're you have that freedom, and it, it, it's really nice to have that and be treated as an adult. I mean, that's the first thing Cody said to me. He's like, "Hey, we're all adults here, right?" Oh, it's funny. I never <laughs> I've never had someone say that to me. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, adults. So, Jake Hager with some thoughts there from Busted Open, courtesy of SiriusXM with my buddy uh, Dave LaGreca and Bully Ray. So, um, you heard what he had to say, and that's not new, right? For those that worked in the WWE system and are on the outside looking in now or on the outside doing their own thing, uh, we have heard John Moxley, long form, talk about some of his issues with the WWE. And... They never complain about the pay. They never complain about the travel. What they complain about is being in the system, but yet being locked in the system and not being able to be themselves. Now, I understand. I'll use me as an example for radio, right? No one from Good Karma Broadcasting or ESPN Radio is telling me how to do this show or when to do this show. I'm doing this because it's best for the wrestling fan, for you and I to be able to talk about pro wrestling uh, slash sports entertainment. Uh, it would be very difficult for me to deal with a format on this show of, Jonathan, you got to do this and you got to do it this way. And when you talk about WWE, say it, say it like this. And when you talk about New Japan, talk about this and say it like this. That'd be very difficult, especially in a... Um, In broadcasting, what I'm doing right now, as someone that just goes off the top of my head, you know, I've got some bullet points here, but there's no script. It's me, for better or for worse, it's me talking to you about wrestling. And so, you can imagine, if you are a WWE wrestler, you love to say some things in your own words, but you're not allowed to. This show, for again, for better or for worse, my talk shows I do on ESPN and SiriusXM and other places, it's my own words. And so it's still entertainment. I'm in entertainment. They're in entertainment. But boy, it's so structured, like Hollywood. They feel like they're making major mo- motion pictures. They feel like they're making television shows, sitcoms. It's um, it's not pro wrestling for sure. It is sports entertainment. But at the same time, there has to be elements of pro wrestling to be able to make this work for the WWE for others to get under the tent. One other thing, because I've got some other things I want to talk to you about. Um, you hear from time to time on some of these shows, podcasts and wrestling radio shows that, well, you know, the WWE is doing things right because they've got a billion dollar deal with Fox and they're still on the USA Network and they're going to be making millions and millions of dollars with Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. So, and they get 80,000 people going to WrestleMania. So they're doing things right, right? Not necessarily. 
people always point the money and they say, well, look how much money the WWE is making. So obviously things are working out well. Well, listen, it's all about perception, right? It's all about perception. You may want to go to the Super Bowl one day, even though the teams that are playing the Super Bowl may not be teams you're rooting for, but you want to go to the Super Bowl because it's a, a, an event. The same thing with WrestleMania. WrestleMania, when's the last time WrestleMania had a show in which they built it around a main event? I mean, built it around a superstar, built it around a main event. What they do is they don't push the matches. They push the experience. And so you look at WrestleManias over the last five, seven, maybe even ten years, and think about the matches that you saw in WrestleMania. There might be some matches that you really liked and some matches that you really kind of checked off and said, yeah, you know, I, I can't wait to see this match and see what they do in this match. But you don't see this person versus this person. This is the main event. You've got to watch it. It's all about the experience. And the same thing about, you know, going to the, the World Series, going to the Super Bowl. It's about the experience. Maybe it's not necessarily about the teams all the time. It's about the experience. And that's how the WWE is able to survive. All these other companies have to be able to give you more. Get, tell you, hey, if AEW comes to town, it can't just be AEW comes to town. It's working right now, but at some point... You've got to be able to have stars that you want to see and have a match that's a marquee match that everyone wants to see. Wrestling does not work like that for everybody. But for the WWE, because of how they've been in business for so long, they have four generations and more coming of McMahons that have promoted professional wrestling. They get the benefit of the doubt, and they should. There's no doubt. But you still can question weekly television, episodic television, on why the storylines don't connect. If storylines did not connect on soap operas, some of these long-time soap operas that's on right now, they wouldn't last. So that's the whole point. The reason why there are some that, that, that bitch about the WWE, it's not about WrestleMania. It's not about their, their tentpole events for pay-per-view. It's about having things that work and not going the opposite direction of what the fans want. You get 20,000 fans screaming for one thing and they do the absolute opposite to put heat on themselves. And what do they say? Well, we got a billion dollar deal and you guys will still come out. You'll still watch you're, either if you're going to watch it and enjoy it, or you're going to hate watch it, but you're still going to be involved with it. Well, that's not for everybody. You know how I know that? Look at the SmackDown numbers as of late. Yeah, not great. You lose over a million viewers on SmackDown after the debut. That's not great. That's, that's your real tell. Get away from the cable numbers of USA. How does this work on Fox on Friday nights? And by the way, just one other little note. What surprised me is that SmackDown hadn't been moved to FS1 last Friday. I believe there was baseball. There was a playoff baseball game. They moved the playoff baseball game to FS1 and kept SmackDown on Fox. That didn't work. And so they had this promo for this week, one week only. SmackDown moves to FS1. Numbers will go down even more. While there's the NBA, while there's the World Series, while other things are going on, SmackDown is going to really, it's going to be a real struggle to be able to maintain three and a half to four million viewers. Don't think that's going to happen again. I think they peaked after The Rock left the ring at SmackDown in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You've got to be able to give us, as wrestling fans, what we want. I don't care how much money they, that they make. I don't care if they're a, a million-dollar 
billion dollar corporation. Doesn't matter. You still have to be able to have terrific television to hook me for next week and the following week and the following week. That's how television works. Even in 2019, if there's something live that people want to watch, they will watch. Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan cannot be your peak on Raw. It's got to be the the other 100 wrestlers in the back that's trying to get over in this company. So they got to consider that. But maybe they're so arrogant that they don't care. Maybe that's the key. Maybe that's what it is. Let's turn now to Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory that took place at the Odium in Villa Park, Illinois, just outside Chicago. I was at that event on Sunday. And by the way, my conversation with um, Tara Valkyrie, man. That was a great interview. Great conversation with her. She's the longest reigning Impact Wrestling uh, Knockouts champion. That is in the archives here. I just talked to her earlier this afternoon. If you missed that interview, we'll put that in the description of this podcast and leave you a link there. But uh, great conversation with her on her birthday, too, by the way. On her birthday. Taya Valkyrie was uh, was great. So um, happy birthday to her. And uh, we had a great conversation about Bound for Glory. So Taya Valkyrie was with me. Um, Taya Tuesdays. That's going to be the new hashtag, by the way, with her uh, at Impact Wrestling. So I was there at the Odium. I got there. It was kind of a, an interesting day because... I was really locked in on the Bears and Saints, and clearly the Chicago Bears uh, were not going to get the job done against a very hot New Orleans Saints team as Teddy Bridgewater and the offense and the Saints defense just tore up Mitchell Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. So I watched the first half, and then I drove to Villa Park and listened to the game in the car. And then when I knew that game was just out of reach, I said, okay, let me just get out of the car here and just walk into the arena. So I get there at... A little bit after 6 o'clock for a 7 o'clock show. 6.30 with their um, some of their dark matches that's going to be on Impact TV on Tuesday night. And it was packed. It was a, it was a long line to get in there. Uh, it was a legit sellout. No seats available. They had to bring extra seats out for the standing room only people. As Gorilla Monsoon used to say, the SRO signs right early. Oh, get out of here, brain. Oh. The SRO signs were out. Um, it was completely sold out. It was a, a tremendous crowd. And you think about this, right? Chicago is a great, and I underline the word great, uh, wrestling city. No question about it. And Impact has not been in Chicago or Chicago land since, what, seven years ago, eight years ago, when Aces and Eights were running wild on Impact Wrestling with Bully Ray and and Devon and that whole group of Aces and Eights. That was a, a nice faction because it was led by Bully and he was very good at it. And by the way, when they were here last, Impact Wrestling, they were at the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates. That's the same building that AEW continues to sell out when they come to Chicago. So you, it shows you... The, the passionate wrestling fan in Chicago also shows you where Impact Wrestling was in the wrestling landscape where they can come to Chicago and sell it out. A, a much bigger building, at, you know, much bigger, the Sears Center versus um, the Odium in Chicago. So as I mentioned, complete sellout, and it was um, a hot crowd. It was a very good crowd. Um, 
it's I just find it interesting how many people were there that it was really invested in the product. They weren't there just to see a wrestling show. There are many apparently that have been watching Impact on Twitch and watching it. Uh, on the Pursuit channel or following it online and watching it on YouTube, and they came out to support Impact Wrestling. That this, this is a brand that's not dead by any stretch because here's how you know it was good. You know it was good that against a Bears game, fans have came out to sell it out. And when it's Chicago's at home or when they're playing, usually that's where all the eyeballs are appeal. Everyone's watching uh, the Chicago Bears, watching the NFL. On an NFL Sunday, they came out uh, in full force. So I thought that this show was a mixed bag. You could just tell that Impact Wrestling, to me, is a hybrid of so many different things. Impact Wrestling is ECW, old school ECW. It's sports entertainment. It's pro wrestling. Uh, old school and new school. It's a lot of, of, of mixed bag in Impact Wrestling. So there's something for everybody. It's not like necessarily WWE or even AEW in that regard because of the veterans on this roster and young wrestlers on this roster as well. So it's a mixed bag of a lot of things. And it's about, I think, after watching the show live, I, you could just tell that Impact Wrestling is looking to be able to shoot for a certain direction and trying to figure out what's hot and then go with it. I'll start from the end because the main event was Brian Cage, the Impact Champion, uh, as he defeated Sammy Callahan. What a violent match that was! Sammy Callahan is is dangerous. I it's something about Sammy Callahan and that OVE, and there was a lot of OVE T-shirts in the crowd, and people were very aware of what Sammy is and what that group is. There's something very hot and dangerous about Sammy Callahan. Um, it's it's when he comes into the arena, it's just it, people stand up at attention and they start roaring because they know that they're going to get some violence. <laughs> and Sammy Callahan was really good against Brian Cage, who was able to retain. There are some questions in the media area. We we're having a conversation like, could then this new era of Impact have Sammy Callahan as its world champion to start? The new regime and no brian cage was able to come out on top he was pretty good as well um after the match melissa santos cage's wife came out and um and celebrated as cage won um cage clearly is a baby face let's see if he can maintain his baby face status without people turning on him because when i saw melissa santos in the ring and cage i was like okay that's um, an interesting power couple let's not go ricky steamboat and his wife where now the fans start turning on him like we've seen in the past or jake roberts and his wife or you know you don't want to have that kind of thing happen where it's like ah oh, he's bringing his old lady around ah, i like that you know, because fans will turn, as you well know. So a very good notice qualification match there. I thought it was very well done. Moose took on Ken Shamrock. I have not seen Ken Shamrock live in an arena since the late 90s. This guy is 55, 56 years of age, and he looks great in person. He looks great. His body looks great for someone that age. Uh, boy, that was that was good. He, 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 was, he looked good. He took on Moose. It was the best well told story of the show. They had video packages and Moose gave the promo of his life. Moose was terrific in his promo and he had his robe on and he looked good in his robe with Ken Shamrock coming out and Moose wins via pinfall, but it was 
here's what I wish. I wish the match was as compelling as the promo and the build. Ken Shamrock, even though he did some some crazy moves for someone his age, um, diving outside the ropes several, uh, several times onto Moose, I mean, those moves were terrific. But the match just, it just... It, the audience got lost in it. They they just like, ugh. There was something missing there. And then, of course, the finish where Shamrock was supposed to run his uh, head into the exposed corner. There was no turnbuckle there because it was taken off by Frank Trigg, the corner man for Moose. He didn't go into the corner very, you know, very well. And I think you could see right through it on television. You definitely could see it live. And it just... The, his head was supposed to hit the metal corner to set up the spear, and it just that just was a little bit of a disconnect. I'd love for them to do that match over um, somewhere down the line, but I love the buildup. I mean, it was it was the best buildup of the card, but it just it lacked in the ring a lot. Um, that's when you really need like thirty house shows to be able to get the moves right. That's what you do back in the day, and that that was just kind of a cold match, even though the bill was great. Jake Crist uh, against Tessa Blanchard, against Ace Austin, against AC Romero, uh, against Daga uh, for the X Division Championship in a ladder match. Hell of a ladder match, but boy, a lot of <laughs> a lot of bumps there that frightened me live, especially uh, AC Romero. AC Romero's like. Over 400 pounds, and he took a bump. Tessa Blanchard uh, is underneath the ladder, and AC Romero is trying to reach up and grab the X Division Championship that's up there in the ceiling of, you know, of the Villa Park Odium. And he, boy, that bump he took right through that uh, that table, and then the ladder falls on top of him. On top of that, it, it was frightening live. And I saw it when I got home on video. I was like, oh my God, man. I mean, that's, that's just tough, that the, the bump he took. I understand that he's signed to a contract. I guess he was at the Marionette Park at 115 Bourbon Street Wrestling. And I guess Scott Demore gave him a contract. I mean, he's, he's quite the attraction because he took several amazing bumps. So he definitely is an attraction. Uh, Ace Austin wins the championship uh, on the ladder match. But I, you could tell the entire crowd wanted Tessa Blanchard to win that thing because she had the probably the biggest pop of the night. When she came out in her outfit and she comes down the ring, people know that she's a badass. She is a badass. People know Tessa Blanchard is it when it comes to women's wrestling. Uh, and she was just great. Uh, but she fell short, so you could just tell at some point she's going to be winning one of these major championships. Marafuji against Michael Elgin. I will tell you that Elgin and Marafuji was the best match on the card. And I know that there's a disconnect for some that watch the match and say, oh, nobody cared about the match. Everybody was quiet. I, I just think that people knew that this was a Japanese-style match. And I think the fans just kind of kind of just was in their seats watching the match, kind of like Japanese fans would. It, it just That's how I took it. You know, I, I'm watching the match, and there wasn't a lot of reaction except for some of those near falls. But it wasn't like the crowd didn't care about it. No one said boring. Nobody thought it was a bad match. No one, you know, there it was plenty of people in their seats watching it. I just think they treated it like a Japanese match. 
I am not very familiar with uh, Marafuji. I think that he wrestled well, but I am familiar with Michael Elgin, and he is he's really great. Uh, he had that burning hammer finish. Uh, a little bit of a disconnect for Marafuji to kick out of uh, Elgin's um, finish a couple times. Yeah, I don't know if I really like that as much, but I thought the, I think it's probably the best match, actually wrestling match on the card. So that was cool. The North against RVD and Rhino and then uh, Rich Swan and Willie Max. So an impact tag team match, three-way. The North, RVD and Rhino, and Rich Swan and Willie Mack. Well, obviously because of the ECW um, contingent, the ECW fan base was in the house in Chicago, and they have respect for Rhino and for RVD. RVD turns on Rhino. That surprised people. People were just like, what the fuck? What? Because you can expect that from Rhino, right? You didn't expect that from RVD. Ah, RVD turning on Rhino. Hits him with that super kick. The North um, win by pinfall. I want to see more of the North. I like some of their vignettes. A little silly. Um, <laughs> uh, but I like their action in the ring. It's a good tag team. I just want to see more of them. Hopefully, they'll be featured more on Impact Wrestling. Uh, Rich Swan and Willie Mack, of course, they speak for themselves. They're a terrific singles and as a tag team. Uh, want to see more of them as well. As I mentioned, Taya Valkyrie, uh, the knockouts champion, defeated Tennille Dashwood. Taya was really good. You could tell that she's experienced from her time in Mexico and uh, wrestling around the country. So you could tell that there's experience there. Tennille Dashwood. We saw her in the WWE, and I saw her. This is the first time I've seen her live. I've seen her on YouTube on some of these independent matches. Tennille Russell's very light. What I mean is it's not a lot of impact with her stuff. It's very light. And I guess if you're the opponent, you're like that. But it doesn't. she doesn't seem to connect very well. I don't know if she's trying to get out of the WWE style or if she's trying. I'm not sure what it is. I watched that match and thought that Taya was was selling her ass off. She was able to put in her moves. I just thought that Tennille was just, um, you would think for someone that's tenured, right, that's been around for a little bit, that she'd put on a better match. I just thought her action was very light. That's the best way I could put it. It just didn't seem to use, to trying to come up with a better phrase than impactful, but it just wasn't, did not seem impactful to me against the champion. Um I just I didn't wasn't a big fan of that match. Uh, I liked that Taya won, and I liked what she did in the ring. It just it just it seems somewhat uneven to me. And of course, they had their call your shot battle royal, and there was just so many people in that battle royal. And um, Eddie Edwards got a big pop when he came out there. He pins um, Shira uh, after the Boston knee party um, to win the call your shot battle royal. So and there was a lot of people in there. Jordan Grace. That was the first time I saw Jordan Grace in person. Um, nice to see her in person. Um, to see, uh, let's see, Swaggle was in there. I didn't expect him to come out. <laughs> saw a little Swaggle out there. Oh man, Madman Fulton, Rosemary Havoc, Sabu. I didn't expect to see out there. Um, so they've got some some. And Kylie Ray, she got a, a nice pop as well. Um, I think that Taya Valkyrie. Um, Kylie Ray, RVD, and Rhino. I believe that those are the wrestlers that had the biggest pop of the night. I guess I'm trying to think here, and of course, 
of course, Sammy Callahan because he's dangerous. <laughs> so I think those are the biggest pops I had for Bottom for Glory. I thought it was a B minus, B plus, B minus pay per view. Um, it, I didn't think that it was bad. You could just tell that there's a lot of, of wrestlers in this company. And they're just trying to figure out what they want to do with a lot of them. Um, but the mixture of veterans and youth is very well defined uh, in Impact Wrestling. And it's led by Tessa Blanchard. It's led by uh, Taya Valkyrie in the women's division. And then you have a champion that people want to pay to see in Brian Cage. Look how big that guy is and how he can move. Uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good stuff there from Impact Wrestling. I look forward to seeing more. You need to come to Chicago more. They had the pay-per-view, it sold out. They need to come to Chicago and some of these other events um, for their 2020 calendar because Chicago's going to, going to definitely support, just like some of these other cities, especially now that they're on Access TV. So New Japan is going to spend more time in the United States. So I saw this on njpw1972.com the new japan pro wrestling website and i tried to watch the press conference but it was in japanese but i did put it out there for you if you want to watch it on wrestling twt on twitter um you can see the press conference for yourself it's right there on on my twitter so the here's the structure right new japan will have they'll come to the united states they're going to have seven cities six states in the midwest Four cities, three states in the east, six cities, four states in the south, four cities in Texas, and six cities and four states in the west. So they haven't necessarily said exactly outside of Texas which cities and what states they're going to be in. Uh, we're going to hear from Dave Milton in just a moment about this because he's Mr. New Japan for sure. But I, I think that New Japan could have done this years ago. That's the thing that's a, such a head scratcher. You've been around since 1972. You know how many dull periods we've had in wrestling, like early 90s? Some of that, it might be your wheelhouse for you as a wrestling fan. But there's been some times where the business wasn't very good. And that's when New Japan really could have been able to come out, come on the scene in the United States you know, have two American uh, wrestling announcers and to be able to showcase that on some kind of network. It, didn't, it doesn't mean that New Japan didn't have the money back then. But now here they come in 2019 with this wrestling renaissance. I won't say boom, but renaissance because there's companies all across North America and around the world, especially in the UK and Germany, everywhere else. And now here comes New Japan wanting to do shows in the United States and having an abundance of them. That's it's actually too many shows in the United States. And talking to my guy, Stu Myrick, you can go back and listen to that in the archives. My guy, Stu Myrick from uh, Austin, Texas, when we talked about New Japan coming to Dallas and uh, that American Airlines Center in which they ran their New Japan show, that didn't draw well. They could have went to smaller arenas and had a sellout, but they went to Mark Cuban's building because Mark Cuban had um, something to do with New Japan coming to... Um, Dallas, and that didn't work out very well. Some thoughts from Dave Meltzer on this from Wrestling Observer Live. Yeah, they're opening up a subsidiary company um, that will be running, you know, I think the idea is to run about uh, 25 shows in the United States next year, uh, which would be between New Japan tours. And uh, I think it's, so, So the you know, the, it's, it's basically to... Um, they're targeting uh, different parts of the country, um, you know, like uh, West Coast, you know, the places that they've been, Northeast, West Coasts, 
Southeast, Midwest. Um, but yeah, more shows. And, you know, honestly, I think that it's, it's funny because they're taking like the exact opposite approach of everyone else in the sense that they still have this house show mentality thing. And they don't, I don't think they realize in this country that just like running house shows for the sake of house shows, like it's, it's just not, that's like almost passe in a lot of ways that, um, um, it's, you know, they're, they're basically going to burn the market out. They already kind of have, I mean, for new Japan's for new Japan, optimally, the idea should be to run a few, maybe four major shows a year in four different geographic locations and have loaded shows and, you know, one a year in each of these locations, um, you know, and, and peak it for that. And their idea is to run multiple shows, you know, throughout the year. And it's going to be a situation. I mean, we've already seen, the, the thing is that if we had not seen the, the example in Los Angeles and San Francisco of what happens when they do this, um, you know, it would, you could argue the point, but now that we've seen the example that every time they come, the crowd is down, especially now when they don't have really, um, you know, they lost the, the big American stars that helped them draw it first. Um, to come, you know, to come here and draw a thousand people, it's like, well, I don't know what the point is. It's, it's not, you know, with the, the cost of coming over and everything, it's not particularly profitable. Um, I mean, that's one of the reasons their profits were down last year compared to the year before was because of the cost of doing these overseas shows. Boy, some thoughts there from Dave Meltzer from Wrestling Observer Live. Yeah, everyone's competing for you and I, the wrestling fan, especially in North America. You know, when New Japan comes to Chicago, I definitely will see it for sure. But what does that mean for some of these other parts of the country? Will they really lock into New Japan? Remember, New Japan, if you, have, if you don't have New Japan World, you have to watch on Access TV, and they still don't have the a huge penetration of television audience. So... We will see. New Japan has a great, they got great shows. There's no question about that. But they are going to come here in abundance. It's almost like they're trying to fight the WWE from having their shows in Japan. Apparently, there might be an NXT Japan somewhere down the line. Who knows? Who knows? So, and so New Japan feels they want to come to America. I'll see it when they come here, but I look forward to seeing exactly what their plan is. It's already laid out. How successful will it be? That would be the question, especially when you've got the NWA and you've got WWE and AEW and um, Impact Wrestling and MLW and all and Ring of Honor and all the other companies around the country. Independents are doing very well also. With the success of the WWE, especially being on Fox, that helps everybody else. That, that raises the bar for everybody else, attendance-wise, money-wise. When the big dogs do well, everybody does well in professional wrestling, especially if it's booked right. All right, coming up Thursday, it'll be Josh Lopez from Pro Wrestling Transcriptions and yours truly. We will review AEW and NXT and some of the other storylines later on this week. For professional wrestling. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Also, the YouTube page, YouTube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tell people, Jonathan Hood is talking wrestling. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. 
now twice a week. Oh boy. Talk to you soon.